everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the very first episode of our new actual play series, Tales From. Our first season, Starlight Ascension, takes place in a homebrewed science fantasy universe that I'll tell you more about in just a minute. We're going to be using the D&D 5th edition system for this game. And you may ask, why 5th edition for a game set in space? My answer to that would be to emphasize the fantasy and science fantasy. And also, I think we can all agree that the idea of space wizards is objectively cool. I would like to very quickly apologize for some audio glitches in our first couple episodes. There's a point in this first one where some information was lost when our recording software randomly stopped working, as well as some general hiccupy weirdness scattered throughout. I also lost all the sound effects. Isn't that fun for a first episode? But after the first two episodes, future recordings use much cleaner audio as we have been using a different recording method. But thank you so much for bearing with us in the meantime. We really, really appreciate it and truly hope you enjoy what we're creating because we're definitely enjoying making it. Now before I ramble any further, let's meet our valiant heroes, starting with Jeffrey Anderson. Since leaving the house at 18, Kenson Brandt has never lived in the same place for more than six months. Now, partially it's because he loves exploring new planets and making friends across the galaxy. And partially it's because he's looking for someone he ain't seen in over 20 years. He's always believed that you should help your neighbors, so when the ship called, he knew helping out was the right thing to do. But he's also hoping it'll take him to find who he's been searching for all this time. Lainey Chan? Charlotte hails from Elysium. Growing up in the shadows of the rich and powerful, while her family was left struggling for necessities, she turned to a life of crime to survive. As an assassin, she drowned her need to connect with others and prioritized herself. Her deepest desire is belonging to a greater cause. Benjamin Clifford? You've probably heard of Griff Cragsman, the grappling griffster and rising star in the Galactic Gladiator Federation. Born on the Vactali homeworld of Toro Tali, he set off to follow in his father's footsteps and seek fame and glory. His strong convictions and deep belief in cosmic destiny come from his grandfather, his first trainer and renowned starlight guardian in the halls of cosmic divination. Griff isn't sure what destination this new adventure takes him on, but he's going to give it 210%. And Alex Saulnier McKinnon. Hey, hi, hello. My name is Alex Saulnier McKinnon. I play Dr. Tamara Wainwright, who is an alchemist artificer who is a robot elf who hails from the planet Aurelia, known as Scientist. She has extensive knowledge of the sterile galaxy. Quick DM note here for those who are into the crunch of D&D. Alex and Jeffrey are playing Stellar Elves, which is a reskinned half-elf for this universe. Ben is playing a Voktali, which is a reskinned half-orc. And Lainey is playing a Crystal Ganassi, which is a reskinned Fire Ganassi. Now that all that is out of the way, I think it's time to do some world building and cue the spacey music. The Ajax Cluster. Known for eons as being home to the most technologically advanced societies in the charted universe. A far cry from the uninhabited gas giants of the Kroos Nebulas, or the Circuit System, which was known primarily for how many intergalactic crime lords had interests there. The ancient lunar elves that were largely responsible for Ajax's success enjoyed long lives of invention, philanthropy, and wealth, aiding their whole galaxy in reaching an age of prosperity, until the day that a monolithic and mysterious object emerged from the uncharted stars, bringing with it a strange tone that somehow disabled all of the elven technology. This stranger from the void seemed intent only on death, breaking the cluster's worlds apart one by one before turning its attention to the elven homeworld. The elves turned to old methods in a last resort, six artificers looking to ancestral magic in order to create a weapon that the oncoming threat couldn't power down. Special starships, each with one pilot to minimize casualties, created to bond with the user and hopefully fight back the darkness. These new creations, while still technology, had a strange life to them that could be felt by the pilots. The engineers each made only one, deciding that they could not ask anyone else to fight this battle for them. 
When the ships were complete, they ascended, taking to the stars to intercept their foe. It was a harrowing battle, with the oncoming darkness bearing down on them seemingly everywhere at once. But bonded to their machines, the engineers managed to force the void to retreat, using the light they commanded to force the strange being back to the inky nothingness of uncharted space. Despite their victory, the damage had been done. Other than their new ships, the rest of their technology had been made defunct. The populations of the worlds they helped now cried out to them for salvation. Instead, the elves took their machines and fled into uncharted space, hunting the void and searching for another way to fix their mistake. Our story picks up 1200 years after this event, in the Sparrow Galaxy, known for being the first system owned entirely by a single corporation, Sparrow Holdings LLC, home to farm planets, asteroid mines, and all manner of readily available labor forces in between. While some planets here have bigger cities for trade and entertainment, most would consider this the backwater of the galaxy. Most born here are stuck here, as intergalactic travel is usually reserved only for mercenaries being dragged from job to job, or for the most rich and influential members of Sparrow's board of trustees as they shuttle to and fro, terrorizing local farmers and generally ignoring labor laws and safety practices as they go. It is here that our heroes are found. Dear listener, welcome to the Starlight Ascension. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very first episode of Starlight Ascension. Um, before we begin, I would like to give a very special thanks to David L. Puga for our amazing theme song. It's incredible. Please go check his stuff out. Uh, Instagram, YouTube, uh, SoundCloud. Um, but yeah, uh, if everyone is ready, we're going to go ahead and just jump right into it. Welcome to the Sparrow Galaxy. A bustling and lively corner of the universe, it has now fallen into a rut of corporate monotony after the entire galaxy was purchased as part of a marketing deal by the Sparrow Corporation, a super conglomerate led by multi-septillionaire Daxon Shepard that runs all facets of the galaxy. Trade, labor, politics, if it's important, it's Sparrow. But rumors have begun to swirl that Sparrow has their hands in shadier dealings, ones that may have something to do with an ancient evil from a faraway land. In response to this growing darkness, an old bastion of light has reawoken, sending scouts out into the stars to search for heroes that may answer the call. The call to save the Sparrow Galaxy. And with that, we see five lights shooting off of a moon into the dark, star-speckled night sky. An orange, lavender, teal, and blue light. They fly out, searching for heroes. There are four. four. I said five, but it's four. We're off to a great start. I was just like, wait, fine. And on that yeah, I was looking around note, like, is there another player? <laughs> and on that super professional note, we are going to uh, cut to a planet known as Elysium, where there is two very distinct sides to this planet visible from orbit. One would be able to see one side as a prosperous utopia, tall buildings made of towering crystals that essentially uh, run on solar power. Everything on this side is, it's deathly quiet except for the, the traffic of the flying vehicles that are moving rapidly in transit throughout the city. But this metropolis 
is only one facet of this planet on the other side away from the city for those that dare to leave the the city limits basically the entire other half of the planet functions similar to a slum it is not kept up well it is not acknowledged by the wealthier members of the planet it is not there is a very clear divide between the poor and the wealthy on this planet and those on the impoverished side uh do not live well it's a, it's a very vast divide between the two on the off side of that lots of community lots of senses of togetherness a lot more empathy on this side of the wall in this side of the wall closer to the wall than most in a what looks like it might be some sort of safe house for transit in between the two sitting on the roof of this safe house we see uh laney if you would like to describe your character hello my name's tara white I dabble on the border of the light and the dark sides of my of my planet and my family is the most important thing and everything I do is to try to make our lives better. And I'm wearing a jumpsuit with my iridescent purple bob shimmering in the light and it almost has a looks strong like look to start with by the way <laughs> we absolutely love that and i could almost disappear but i will allow you all to see me i wonder who the main character is in this scene <laughs> I wonder. Spot the protagonist and you spot the anime main character <laughs> i was gonna say i mean like, like which character in this scene has pink hair Hmm, I wonder if they'll be important. All right, so Char, as you are sitting on this roof, you just got done with a job, a um, little bit of wet work, not the most glamorous thing ever, uh, but it pays the bills. It keeps you out of having to live fully. Uh, you, you are able to venture over the wall, unlike most. You are able to pretend like you live among the rich and famous. So bearing that in mind, what is going through your head while you're while you're sitting on this on this sort of go room of yours, this this sort of panic house? Um, well, I'm cleaning up my weapons, shining them, sharpening them, concealing them once again. And I think I'm daydreaming about a better life on the other side when I can take my family as well and, and just pretend like just like the people that live on it side just pretend like the side I'm from doesn't exist. We're starting this with a heartbreak, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and it's almost as you have that thought that you see like almost like a shooting star. Like there is a rush of light along the horizon that starts off this like brilliant orange as it hits the atmosphere but then once it is passed through and the burn has faded back the trail splits into a magnificent lavender color and this light most shooting stars when you see them just they go down and then that's that's it so it's very unusual to see a shooting star that the trail turns in mid-flight and then suddenly it seems like there's something getting much bigger that's heading towards you very fast um how is char reacting to this i get up and i sort of crouch into a go position i'm ready for anything i'm ready to fight ready to run i'm ready to hide but i'm very much mesmerized by this sight you can hear almost as if the sound barrier has just been broken a like a from the distance as this thing gets closer 
and you see the wind start to pick up as you see this thing is moving so fast you can watch the purple and pink grass and the fluffy leaves on all the trees getting pulled towards this thing as it approaches and then whipped back uh, as it passes leaving this sort of like trail this sort of vacuum behind it as it as it makes its way towards you and you're in this go position and right as it looks like it's about to just completely run you over at the speed it's moving suddenly it just comes to a complete stop right in front of you and all of this this air that has been rushing behind it hits it and rushes forward and rushes past you and you feel this blast of air pass over you as the the scent of the grass and the wind and the trees that it took with it washes over you as you are confronted by this prism of some sort of black metal although metal might be a little derivative because looking at it you can tell it's almost moving like a liquid and as you're observing this you can see from inside that same lavender light coming from within and you hear in your head something that sounds like a voice and you can swear that you almost understand it and you know that this thing whatever it is is calling to you i'm like oh bitch let's go destiny is here and i do a parkour flip into the to the ship <laughs> no hesitations <laughs> let's go all right you uh i'm not gonna make you roll out because you're i mean like you're you're a gymnast this is what you do you're expecting there to be like a cockpit that opens but what happens instead is you just sort of morph through the metal as if it sort of passes over you to let you in and you are deposited into what sort of looks like a cockpit there are readouts and a heads-up display there's a you can see like a viewport that lets you see out to where you just were even though you couldn't see inside from the outside um but now you can see around you in sort of this like panoramic view that's about 180 degrees from left to right you're standing in here and there is like a small platform in the middle with these two raised pedestals that look like they have like a little um almost like a sandal strap over them it looks like somewhere for like your hands to go in Ooh, like Let's get it started, bestie! <laughs> as soon as your hands make contact with the pedestals, those two straps come down to make contact with your skin, and all of the lights in the cabin light up like a Christmas tree with that same lavender color. And suddenly you hear the ship, this, this, this vessel, whir to life, and you feel as if it will move as you move. You feel as if you you have connected to this thing in a way that it has become almost like a second skin to you now. Immediately from this point of contact. I'm like, ooh-wee, Char is in charge of fate now! I gotta say, as someone who watched a lot of Mobile Fighter G Gundam, this is really just hidden a lot of stuff that I wanted as a kid. So, yeah, very well done. Yeah, that was really honestly the goal of this, was to Things awaken the inner and everyone. Yeah. <laughs> And without another second, the ship turns around 180 degrees and rockets back off into space the same way it just came. Um, you feel the the rocking of the cabin as it roars through the atmosphere and out into space. But you yourself are protected from the G-forces and the, uh, the otherwise almost nauseating effects of uh, space travel. You feel almost at peace as this thing takes you off into the stars to another corner of the galaxy. Like 
like giddy like try to catch me you can't uh we cut over from there to the planet of hadrion which is sort of a uh like the suburbs it's sort of like the burbs a planet that could be considered like the burbs it's a very like it's a it's an upper middle class it's sort of like a housing planet almost for sparrow workers it's like a barracks but like they've taken they've commandeered this whole planet for this for these purposes except for uh every area with where you have disgruntled employees a good employer provides some sort of motivation or some sort of way to to unwind and never let it be said because that lawsuit was thrown out in court that the sparrow corporation are bad employers because they do provide entertainment and the entertainment in this case is a massive arena that hosts all sorts of events in this case however they're hosting a tournament of some of the best and brightest fresh-faced wrestlers from around the galaxy and out Outside of this arena, currently handing out flyers for the event, uh, Ben, would you like to describe your character? So, uh, yeah, just holding a big uh, a stack of these flyers in one of his uh, one of his gloved hands. Yeah, you see a uh, a very kind of tall, um, uh, very kind of like a broad-shouldered, muscular uh, Voktali man. Uh, you can see he's got the kind of classic kind of reddish, you know, clay-colored skin, two kind of short tusks poking out from the bottom lip. Um, and very kind of um, not uh, like like very very blue, uh, almost like turquoise, slightly turquoise colored eyes, um, just around the irises. Uh, very standard for um, the Voktali who come from certain uh, certain bloodlines on uh, back on uh, his home planet. Uh, he's uh, got a kind of like um, brownish hair that's kind of like swept back, kind of feathered a little bit at the edges, coming down to his shoulders. And he's definitely like putting on, you know, he's got his persona on right now. Um, he's got a big kind of like a uh, you know, kind of a little bit presentational, but also a little bit functional kind of, um, you know, kind of like riding leathers, uh, you know, big, like uh, a motorcycle style leather jacket. Um, he's kind of like padded riding pants and big studded boots. And he's currently got um, kind of on one shoulder and down one of his arms. He has this big kind of um, kind of like segmented, uh, looks like like a shoulder gladiator armor um, that definitely looks like it's kind of like folded in on itself right now. It's a little bit more sleek. He's kind of, you know, turning as people are coming in, he's just uh you're only gonna see it tonight. It's uh gonna be the match of uh, match of the century. Me, uh, the grappling grifter, is gonna go head to head with some of the biggest and the most uh, bombastic uh, wrestlers you ever seen in the galaxy. You're not. You're gonna want to get front front row tickets for this, folks. It's uh you're gonna feel the uh, the spray of the sweat and you're gonna feel the heat of the arena. It's gonna be the the best thing you've ever seen. And he's just trying to like pump himself up, pump everyone else up, get get people ready to go. Mission accomplished. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a hard, it's hard business out here. Kind of climbing to the top. You know, you got to do a lot of. Uh, th there's only so much though the managers can do. You got to get out there and do some. Uh, you know, get your feet on the street and uh, hand out promotions. This poster, it's like a, it's a who's who of current like wrestling superstars. You've got the grappling grifter. You've got Jude Pentafist. You've got Wayne the Asteroid Jackson, and you have WrestleBot Nine Thousand. Hell yeah! Who's oh who's a real underdog? I'm, I'm still not over Wayne the Asteroid say, Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> These names are so epic. But yeah, Griff's just, you know, he knows he's like still checking his like his uh, his wristband, whatever, making sure that, you know, because he's he's only got like so much time he can be out here before he has to like actually get back, you know, and start preparing for the for the matches. So he's he's trying to be as mindful as he can. But, you know, there's a lot to there's a lot to remember. So as you are keeping an eye on the time, keeping an eye on, you know, how many flyers you've been giving out, uh, trying to, to parse out who might actually come and who would probably be a waste of time. All at once, it seems like the street empties. The citizens that were just a second ago rushing back and forth seem to have all but disappeared. And 
Roll the perception check for me. Boy, here we go. It's not really uh it's not really Griff's strong suit. Yeah, uh, that's uh that's a nine. Even with a nine, it does take you a second because you're sort of like you're not the brightest uh star in the sky, but you are looking around and sort of realizing that just a second ago, not only was it busy, but it was loud. I mean, you're right in front of the arena. There's a whole crowd in there, and you don't hear anything anymore, except for a ear-shattering boom as some blue light enters the atmosphere at mock speed and is currently hurtling toward you. Uh, yeah, Griff is going to, he's going to look around and he's like, uh, I didn't say where they're starting at, what the... And uh, he's going to flip his arm up and like get into like a stance and just kind of like shake his wrist out. And as he does, there's you can hear like a, a popping clank noise as this big bolted pauldron like pops out of the top of his shoulder to form his like his shield. He's going to get ready. He doesn't know if this is like special, you know, intro for the feed or something, but he's like he's ready to he's ready to go. But he's a little nervous as you post up with your pauldron shield ready for whatever this is this light hits the city and begins to pull material with it as you see it like pieces of buildings and vehicles and small trees come flying out of the ground and following it and then it just stops right as you're ready to for whatever is about to happen as this thing was moving almost too fast for you to comprehend it just stops so close to you that you can see your reflection in it and you see this prism of that same black, almost liquid metal with a blue light humming from inside. And you hear a voice, or you think it's a voice. It's garbled and distant and sounds like it's trying to speak through something, but you can tell this thing is calling to you. Griff's going to look around just like he's still a little confused, but he doesn't, I guess he doesn't see any sort of like you know, any, any cameras, he doesn't see anyone out in the street. Everything's kind of different, but he's going to kind of take a moment, look at this thing and then look up at the, look up at the stars and, uh, he's whispers like, it must've been what grandfather was talking about. The, the Valtoro, the, the destiny of the stars. I didn't think this day was ever going to come and, uh, kind of snaps the shield, you know, retracts it and kind of like steps forward. Like his persona has completely dropped. He's still standing, you know, very good posture standing upright but approaches it very kind of reverently and like puts his hand out to just like touch the the surface you reach out and you see a reflection reaching out toward the same spot as you make contact with the vessel you and your reflection in an instant switch places and suddenly you are inside the ship looking at yourself being reflected on the back of the ship and as you turn around you can see this 180 degree viewport in a cockpit very futuristic, much different than any vessel you've ever been in before. Any 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 of Spiro's transport spaceships or any of the provisional spaceships you've been on as a wrestler, even the VIP ships, nothing uh, has come close to this level of technology. He's he's kind of like whips around for a moment trying to get his bearings and then kind of like shakes his head a little bit, uh, you know, kind of gives himself like a slap on the, the cheek. And he's like, all right, get, 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 get it together. This is uh, dad never said uh, he said never to never to skip a match. But uh, I don't know. This is this has got to be it. It's got to be the got to be the destiny. The destiny I was waiting for. All right. I always call my agent later. Tell him. Uh, tell him I got a better. get a better offer. Uh, oh, it's gonna be tough. He kind of looks around for a place to to sit. Uh, here, here we go. Uh, can't be, can't be too hard. 
uh, yeah, and he's going to look for a place to like actually. There's a place to sit. There's a place to like the controls or whatever. There's no formal training in this. He's mostly just going off of like stuff he's seen other pilots do. He's like, there's got to be some sort of you know thing to put my hands on. All right, Griff doesn't have training in ancient starships. No, of course. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> Must have must have slept through that class in high school. I mean, he can play a flute. Those two things are basically the same. Yeah, it's ba- it's it's basically the same thing. My starship is a flautist. <laughs> <laughs> Just fucking blasting into the sky with Jethro Tull blaring out of the uh, external speakers. Yeah, so you do see these two pedestals in the center of the the cockpit, in the center of this sort of viewport area. All right. Yeah, he's gonna just kind of put on his uh, put on his, his his go time face, and he's gonna walk up and just very confidently put his put his hands on the pedestals. As you do so, the straps on those pedestals lock down onto your hand, and as they do, the entire cockpit lights up blue, and the ship awakens in a new way, thrumming with life as it zooms off into the stars faster than you have ever traveled before. It's just like holding on for dear life. He's like, oh yeah, this is what I'm talking about. and as griff leaves hadrian at an incomprehensible speed we move to a planet called tyla where somebody had has just gotten done visiting a friend and is currently in a field contemplating um on this sort of agricultural planet jeffrey would you like to describe your character i would love to uh my character is kenson brant he is a uh, a stellar elf, which means that his complexion is very fair, but he's kind of got like like the like kind of that Lord of the Rings kind of shimmery skin that some of the elves have. He's got like really long, like past the shoulder length blonde hair that's just been pushed back. It's not particularly well kept, but it's just kind of like whatever he woke up, he just kind of threw it back, and that's what he does every day. He's got a surprisingly well maintained handlebar mustache with like the full circle. On either side, um, he's wearing just like a pretty unassuming kind of collared shirt, but not like a nice button down. Like it has a collar, but you still like throw it on over the top. Um, he's got like a leather vest that's kind of like an orange yellow with uh, like a belt and boots to match. He's just got some linen pants. Uh, he's got his sickle and uh, he's uh, got a bottle in his hand. He's walking around. He's contemplating life. You have been you've been on like a one track mind for a while now many years have you been after sort of single-mindedly in pursuit of a goal and this recent trip has been a dead end in a series of dead ends how is kenson feeling right now this is a probably particular low point for kenson in that to pursue this goal had to give up something that would have meant a lot to him um but he felt it was the right thing to do so because it's kind of been like a, a series of dead ends, but there's always hope at the beginning, ultimately, to come to kind of nothing. He's just in a field. I think he just kind of like sits down, puts his hands like in his legs, just kind of curls up, looks up in the stars, and just kind of says to himself, like, you know, it's always hardest when you get to the end, but you just wake up the next day, you pick yourself up, and you go again. There's always a new lead. There's always something else out there. We just have to find it. And sometimes... The journey to find that next start is the hardest, but once it's there, that's where the hope is. You are having your drink and thinking about hope and looking up at this cloudy midday sky when suddenly you hear an enormous bang, like a rupture that echoes through this valley. You don't see it immediately because the cloud cover 
initially is too thick. You watch the clouds part in a perfect circle all at once as an object flies through them with such speed that it punched a hole outward through the clouds. You see this orange light bathed in the fire of the atmosphere until it cools itself off just from the sheer speed as it's coming uh, into the lower atmosphere and straight towards you, seemingly. You can see the grass around you in the field start to flatten as it approaches. What is Kenson doing? When Kenson hears the bang, he's he's up on his feet immediately. Like, Bottle stays on the ground, he's on his feet, because he's like, I don't know what's going on. Um, sees something coming straight down, um, and probably just, like, without without losing eye contact, just takes, like, a few steps back, just because I don't want to be directly in the landing zone, but I definitely want to be close to whatever's happening. You take this step back, curious but undeterred, as your clothes are being buffeted by this wind. And this object comes so close, so fast, and then just stops in front of you in an instant. You see this pyramid-shaped sort of object made of this black metal that seems to imitate a liquid as you look at it. And you can hear from within, is that a humming? Is it singing? It might be talking? Or whispering, you can't tell, but it sounds like there might be a voice under there, somewhere, trying to speak to you, to call to you. Uh, Kenson uh, definitely, like, doesn't have a hat on right now, but kind of does, like, if I had a hat, I would be giving a tip, and just goes, well, howdy, friend, i never seen nothing like you before, and kind of slowly inches closer and just places his hand on the outside. As you say the word friend... You feel almost like a warmth come back to you from that connection. And as you touch the surface, within an instant, you suddenly feel yourself move. Like you, were, you, you are still standing and that you haven't moved physically, but you are now inside the ship, facing your reflection the same way you just were, but reversed. You are standing inside of a small cockpit, but not like any ship you've ever seen before. The readouts are strange to you. And the viewport is at a full 180 degrees from left to right. There is a small round platform in the middle with two pedestals coming out of it at about stomach height. I'm going to walk up to what seems like it could be some sort of control panel and just say, like, I heard someone in here. So, you know, if you're able to come out and maybe show me around, I'd appreciate that. I just kind of put my hands where it seems like hands go. (laughs) <laughs> uh yeah a good place for you... hands i've always thought that <laughs> that's actually my next tattoo <laughs> <laughs> you slip your hands into these what look like controls and as the the guards on top come down onto your hands the interior lights up with that same orange light that you saw uh in the distance and the ship almost without another thought turns and takes you off into the universe beyond. All right, listen, I'm not saying no to whatever's happening, but if I could know where we're going, that that information is pertinent to what's happening right now. As you think that, you feel an image in your head that you didn't think of, as if someone just put it there. You see a moon orbiting a planet that is surrounded by 
a blizzard constantly. And on the moon, you see what looks like a little, some sort of hangar. And you think this is probably where the ship is taking you. All right, partner, let's go. And as you and your ship travel off into the distance, we cut over to the planet of Veritas, a planet mostly populated by just water. It is a mostly waterlogged planet. There are a couple small islands, but for the most part, it is just this rolling, storming water, a vast ocean. Although the Sparrow Corporation has some interests here, which is why they have built an underwater um, observatory here. Um, with a couple places where it comes up onto these almost like observation decks uh, that are just above uh, where the highest waves hit um, on these sort of lifted platforms where you can overlook all of this, all of the water, all of the storms, um, the waves, the very unique ocean life that lives here. And on this deck, we see Alex. Would you like to describe your character? Yes. I am Dr. Kimra Renette. She is a stellar elf, uh, a level two alchemist artificer, and she is a scientist researcher. And I believe that she is up on this deck uh, looking very frustrated and then um, turns to walk into her lab. In her lab, she very quickly begins to gather up her notebooks. Let me describe her better. <laughs> She has uh, jet black hair. It's shaved on one side. She has all black. Um, her black shirt is like an imperial collar. She has fitted black uh, slacks, but she is very uh, well-oiled. That's her look. Um, she also has a very small silver locket with a bright teal stripe. Uh, hey guys, Editing Room Robin here. Just wanted to say real quick that we did lose some audio right here. Uh, Kimura's description of the locket, um, other than having a chill stripe, was that there is a picture of a mysterious woman inside. Ooh, I wonder if that'll be plot relevant later. Anyway, back to the episode. Um, I look at the picture, I, you know, wipe a very loving finger over it, like I'm reminiscing for two seconds. I snap quickly back into re reality and throw those back in my bag. I grab the wrench, I stick it into the loop in my pants because I'm a cool kid. And uh, it looks like she's getting the heck out of there. I guess as she's collecting, checks the time really quick to see potentially how much time she has left, then runs out of the laboratory back into the, the platform. Um, as you run out onto the platform, you see the shuttle that was supposed to take you to the space station, the orbiting station, where you were going to have a contact meet you and get you off world. However, as you run out onto the deck, you notice a stray bolts of lightning from the storm hit the back of the ship and absolutely fry the engine just immediately. Like, the worst bit of luck that could possibly happen right now. What is Kimra's reaction in this moment? She sees the lightning bolt and then immediately just staggers backward to the closed door and clutches her locket and grabs onto the wrench. Just feels the end coming. Um, I think it would also be a alarm going off in the laboratory that she hears and then pushes herself off the wall and looks for next way out as you're having this thought you hear 
a sound coming from the distance that's different than the thunder and the wind from the storm it's like a like i mean you're you're pretty you're pretty versed in the experimental craft that has been worked on and you so you know what something breaking the sound barrier sounds like but this is like so much faster than that you see as you are like looking out where the ship had just been destroyed the storm clouds completely part to either direction for a moment as something some teal very rapidly moving thing moves through them and straight toward this platform i think as she looks back and hears the alarms going off and then she just that's it she makes that choice and goes to the ship and looks at it very curiously as to where or how she could get in and then just knocks on the ship. This black prism with this teal light coming from it that has hit this deck, sort of almost in front of the other shuttle as if being like, no, 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 I, I got you. And as you reach up to knock, as your fist makes contact with it, you are suddenly in darkness and safe from the storm. You suddenly feel no longer rain hitting you as you are now inside the ship. You observe the very obvious like cockpit area there's no chair, there are no controls, just these two pedestals with like a strap on them um, and a little platform for standing on. Before jumping on the platform, I'll take a look and see if there's anything that I recognize, anything other than standing on the plate, because it just looks a little... I want to make sure before we jump <laughs> in. It still is safe, because although we are leaving quickly, uh, if we don't get out of here alive, it prevents us from continuing our research. Absolutely. You look around, I mean, it's a very small area, but you see a lot more view than you normally get on a, on a ship of this size. You can see completely 180 degrees from left to right uh, in front of you. And you see some displays that are up against this sort of front uh, view. You can't really make them out yet. Although just from like an educated guess, you could say they were maybe like details on the temperature of the outside or the integrity of the hull, things like that. It's so clean and sleek, and it just, it looks like there is, like, very few other ways that the ship is meant to be interacted with. With the acquisition of all this knowledge, I will hesitantly step onto the platform and place my hands where it looks like my hands should go. My god, if that is the quote from this <laughs> podcast, that, like, if it's the runner we have, perfect. So... As you place your hands on the pedestals, these two these two straps lock onto your hands and the interior lights up with that same teal color. And you can feel something inside of the ship communicating to you. You feel a sense of understanding. You feel like it immediately understands your goal. And it turns around and goes exactly back the way it came, straight back up into the stars through the storm. Get the fuck out, let's go. From there, we cut to an isolated moon rotating around a planet absolutely battered with ice. It is impossible to see the surface of the planet below through the thickness of the winter storm surrounding it. The moon, however, is unaccosted by this storm. And as we sort of zoom into the surface of the moon, we can see something like a hangar with um, a sort of force field in front of it uh, instead of a traditional door. And at that moment, we see five or four i keep saying five we see four <laughs> lights where did the fifth ship go that's the big conspiracy theory <laughs> <laughs> it's the the fifth power ranger it's gonna show up in like 10 episodes and it's gonna be evil 
Um, or yeah. this is the, the Picard <laughs> moment from Next Gen, where Picard goes, there are four ships, instead of the five. Yes. <laughs> wow. Good pull, good pull. Thank you. Wow, a Next Gen reference. We're really, we're really current here on Starlight Ascension. <laughs> Next scene, we got to have someone sit down, uh, do do a pull a Riker and sit down in a chair backwards just to get the oh, full full effect. You better believe that's all I'm doing from now Fuck on. Yes. <laughs> okay, so uh, we see four lights of orange, blue, teal, and lavender peel through the horizon and come to a stop. These lights arcing in like sort of a crescent shape as they perfectly pull in formation into this hangar and stop. The inside of the hangar is sort of derelict, um, hasn't been used in a while, very dusty, but still looks sort of functional. The lights are kind of on, and as these four ships come to a stop, you four all see that you have landed in some sort of hangar. But you also can see, because of the view, that there are three other ships with you here. That was quick math, by the way, to get to three, the subtracting from the four. That was pretty good. Oh, thank you. I can't tell the difference between four and five, but I do know if you subtract one from four, it's three. <laughs> That's an important lesson to learn. You know, we're all experienced Dungeons and Dragons players. We ha- we know how to do mental math. <laughs> you know, s- sometimes. Sometimes. It's, it's only slightly important. You're doing better than my second graders. That's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So I can't win Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader, but if they ever release Are You Smarter Than a Second Grader, I'm fucking golden. Oh, yeah. I would hope most people win that one. Yeah. <laughs> you would hope so. Hey, you never know. I would hope. Exactly. Uh, Kansen gets out of the ship for sure. All right, sick. Yeah, uh, as soon as like uh, things seem like they're <laughs> like the flight is ending, Griff is going to like look around like through for the cockpit, and then remembering he didn't really have one before, he's just going to kind of once again just try to like make contact to see if he can get it to flip again, uh, and uh, and also step out. Okay, so uh, Kenson, you sort of step forward and the, the ship parts for you as you step out. So you sort of gracefully step down into the hangar. Uh, but <laughs> Griff, as he sort of touches the ship, expecting, you know, the same, he flips back out. But since the ship is sort of about 10 feet off the ground, he falls onto his ass oh, no. in front of Kenson. Yeah, you just see this, this huge, uh, this huge individual just like, it's like, wait, what? No! <laughs> just like... <laughs> Just like you can hear, just like like jangling and clanking as like all the metal, you know, the, all the armored bits in his, uh, you know, his ensemble are just like cr- crashing around as he's like rolling across the, the deck floor here. I also want to add that because uh, just just to sort of add to the to the world building here, because of uh, Kenson with the with the confidence, just started walking out, um, sort of like Big Hero Six nanobot style. The ship sort oh. of like created the walkway down for you uh, as you walked into. Oh, the we left that. I think I'm immediately going to say out loud, like, now that's what I call service. And then I see a giant man crash. And then I go like, I think you're doing it wrong, friend. <laughs> uh, Griff is going to uh, try to, like, try to recover from that. He's going to try to, like, turn the, like, the fall into, like, a roll to, like, you know, pop up on his feet. Uh, roll an athletic oh, show. We love it. We love right. it. This is, this is potentially something Griff is good at. Uh um well that is a um that is oh, a two <laughs> sometimes well, dice tell the story for you yeah, I was, it is a two but it, well it's actually a seven but i mean not that's not that's not great with a seven you managed to pk roll back onto like at least like a superhero pose but you yeah. feel something in your neck twist as you do oh, it God. like <laughs> you definitely you definitely pulled something 
<laughs> yeah, he, he, like, like, like pop pops up onto one knee, and just like, oh, and then just like immediately just like tips back like two inches and falls right right, right in his ass again. <laughs> oh, but hey, hey there, friend. Uh, oh, you need a hand? I'm no, no. I'm uh, the the grifter's good. Grifter's good. It's just uh, you know, just a little unexpected technical malfunction. Uh, just kind of gets up and just kind of like cracks his neck a little bit. For next time, what worked for me is apparently if you just walk out, it just takes care of it for you. Really, you don't say. Yeah, it's all about confidence. Well, I suppose you got chosen just like I did, but who's in the other ships? How many of us are there? It looks like four. And I may not know three from four, or four from five, but I know there's at least four upwards of five ships here. Who's to say? That's so weird. Kenson just dies. Uh (laughs) (laughs) I am, this is sudden cardiac arrest. There are now three ships. Uh, Welcome to the final episode of Starlight Ascension. (laughs) (laughs) It's been, listen, the... The half hour I've been here has been really good. Been a good run. Yeah. Char and Kimra, what are you guys doing? You have so you have so far seen a very confident-looking cowboy uh, stroll out of uh, one ship, and then um, a very large wrestler <laughs> fall out of the other one. Um, I think Char sees this, and I'm like, with my young hubris, like, oh, I can do better than that. I take a little running start, I swan dive, and I do like a little tactical roll out, and then I'm like a gymnast, like, and. (laughs) Roll an acrobatics check. (laughs) 14. That's twice the last score, so. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, with your skill, um, yeah, I'll say you, your ship sort of opens like a hole as you swan dive out, so you just uh, sort of fly out into the hangar. Uh, roll along the ground and pop up into into a pose and then i wink i'm like that's how it's done (laughs) you see this uh this person who is seemingly made completely out of crystal just sort of pk roll out of the out of out of their ship (laughs) just like he's just got his hands on the hips hips he's like now that that's an entrance (laughs) yeah the the grifter if i'm getting that right you should do that next time it's it's the grifter but i appreciate the uh (laughs) Uh, appreciate the effort. All right. I'll learn one of these days. Also, who are you? <laughs> I'm Char. Nice to meet you all. Nice to meet you too. Looks like maybe we got one more. Oh, Kimra, after after watching all of these hooligans, realizes she's probably in a safe place, but not 100%. Still has her hand sort of near where the wrench is hanging from her pants, but uh, this is a hand on the wall and slowly makes her way so she does not fall her death because she's got tiny bird bones as you hold your hand out like almost reflexively as you're walking forward uh, as the sort of walkway uh makes its way down from the ship for you um it also provides you like with a guardrail <laughs> that's really cute i like that like the bowling thing it's like okay here's your bumper bars yep <laughs> OSHA approved, okay? You know what? You're about safety. Uh, we're standards and practices approved here in Starlight Ascension. No character will be in a spaceship without a bicycle helmet. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get one of those big, like, foam wedge um, things that uh, racers wear, you know, to protect from whiplash. Oh, listen, you you give me this canonically, I'll wear that helmet everywhere I go. Just don't even talk. I don't have a cowboy hat, and I think I need something. Um, as she's walking down, she's going to flip her hair very cool and be like, you know, sometimes patience is the best virtue and just bond coming down. Can't say patience ever uh, did anything uh, good for me. Uh, I've always been a uh, kind of guy to go head on. Looks like we got a real colorful uh, cast of characters here. I don't uh, don't exactly know who anyone uh, is. 
I do know that I'm uh, skipping out on a very important, possibly prestigious career-making match for this. But, you know, uh, my grandfather always said you can't uh, can't avoid destiny when it comes knocking, especially from the stars. I'm uh, Griff Cragsman, the grappling griffster. Might have heard of me, uh, rising star in the Galactic Gladiatorial Federation. Don't know exactly what we're doing here, but uh, it seems important. Who are all you? I'd like to, like to get to know my uh, fellow uh, companions on this uh, path to stellar destiny. I'll be honest, I don't know... About 70% of what you just said about Stellar Destiny and Galactic Grifton or whatever it was you were talking about, but it sounds like you're real important and it's nice to meet you, friend. Uh, my name's Kenson Brandt. You can call me Kenson. You can call me Brandt. Either one. Not really much know about me. I mostly spend my time traveling around, popping over to new worlds, meeting new folks, and seeing as much as I can. Well, sounds uh, sounds fantastic there, Brandt. Uh, getting getting to know more of the galaxy is never, uh, never a bad thing. Uh more folks you know, the more friends you have, I always say. There's a lot out there. There's a lot to see. What, what, what about what about you two? Uh, there's a, there's a little mess, uh, little mess uh, pink over here. Maybe maybe that's not the right shade. Never was too good at uh, doing all that color theory stuff. It's actually lavender, and I go by Char, and um, I exist. Well, we're happy you do. That's it. Uh, you may call me Dr. Renette. I am a researcher. And I don't know what we're doing here. We'll find out who's in charge. Doctor, do you mind if I ask you what you were a doctor of? I study the planets and I've made it a lifelong research to figure out what goes on in our universe. You look awfully familiar. Have we ever met before? It's possible. I could have been your bartender at any planet I've bartended at. Oh no, never. Well, then maybe not. Well, it looks like we've got some sort of superstar, a genius scientist, and then two others that are also here exist. I'm going to throw myself in the existing category with you, Char. I think that's a good place to be. The best state. It's the best. We're just, we're just living. We, we're manifesting. We're existing. I mean, look, uh, I mean, I think just existing's a little bit, uh, a little bit on the humble side. I mean, Char here just uh, did a pretty sweet flip out of that ship. I'd say you could at least give yourself the title of Flipmaster. I mean, that's—I uh, don't think that name's taken yet. I haven't checked the roster recently. It's just natural talent. Flipmaster Char sounds like a really bad Food Network show. Flipmaster <laughs> Char, God. Now you say that, I would watch it constantly. <laughs> I would probably hate binge it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, oh yeah. my God! It's just all like pancakes and anything that you can easily like flip <laughs> yeah. ten feet in the air and catch. And we're flipping. <laughs> Sorry, can I get that one more time? I'll just flip for the road. And we're flipping. That's excellent. No, if anyone's listening on an Apple podcast, you can hear that. Hit the rewind button and get it twice in a row again for as long as you want. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you guys do notice uh, there is, does seem to be a hallway leading out of the room. Um, it's not very long, so you can sort of already see what's in the next room. Um, there are multiple hallways branching off of that room, but this adjoining room has a um, sort of a table in the middle that looks like the middle of it is made out of some sort of. It looks from this distance like it might be glass. But then it's surrounded by metal and uh, some chairs. It looks like there are about six chairs. Or walks down the hallway. Yeah, I'll follow. Yeah, Griffle uh, kind of stomp along beside, uh, look, looking around. Does this place look like, I mean, he, he's been in some pretty, you know, kind of 
CD areas, you know, for, uh, you know, for, 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 for low level, uh, low level brawls. Um, but like, does this place look like unused or does it just look like, like what, what, what's, what's the kind of vibe that this place is giving off? It looks like it was maybe used a really, really, really long time ago because like the chairs are, some of the chairs are still pulled out. The hangar, you know, was obviously there was something docked there at some point, but there's dust on everything. Although not maybe like a whole lot, not as much as maybe like you might think with the place that looks like, but it's like, even though it looks really old, all the technology is still very advanced. So it's like, it's a weird uh, juxtaposition. And this table specifically looks like the kind of hologram technology that just started being used in the Sparrow Galaxy. Although this is like, this base is obviously much older than the current ones that are being used. As you four approach this room and this table, right behind the table, a figure sort of blinks on to life. Um, it takes a couple of blinks, sort of like the lights in the room. It sort of flickers on. This sort of moving, almost living looking hologram that is very definitely robotic in appearance um the the torso and limbs and head are all sort of separate from each other um the head is sort of this free-floating uh teardrop shaped almost like quicksilver type metal of this like egg white color then the torso is very similar um free-floating uh sort of like a like a hexagon almost and then it has these holographic arms and legs that are almost normal so it's like a sort of fusion between actual like robot and like a hologram and these two eyes power on on the front of this blue flickering display on the front of this robot and a voice chimes out of it that says greetings everyone i am adrastia the ai that runs this place i helped the last heroes and i'm here to help you too because you're all here that means you were chosen that means there's a threat coming and the universe needs heroes griff immediately just like fucking like makes fists like ah i knew it it is the Valtor. Char's like, ooh, heroes! I like the sound of that! I, I think <laughs> Kenson definitely has a quiet moment to himself where he's just like, I don't know that I'm supposed to be here. Griff looks looks back at everyone and just says, uh, look, I, uh, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure we're all a little confused, but I think this might, uh, well, the, at least in my culture, the Valtoro is, uh, written in the stars, the ancestral destiny. You know, if, if you're, if you're meant to do something, you're going to be, you're going to be pulled into it one way or another. My grandfather always told me stories about it. Well, to be honest, uh, you know, seems like old thing out of the, out of the past, but you know, we're standing here place where previous heroes obviously stood. I don't know. I uh, don't know, know all of you yet, but, uh, I'm sure that, uh, well, if we've all been chosen, then this is what we're meant to do. Robot lady. What's, uh, can you, can you tell us a little bit more about this? I mean, I'm, uh, I'm ready to go. Uh, I've been preparing for this my whole life, but it seems, seems as though pretty grave threat must be, uh, showing up to gather, you know, four, uh, heroic individuals like ourselves. Yes, I'm afraid if these ships have chosen new pilots, that means that things are quite dire indeed. How many of you know about the history of the Ajax cluster? How many of us do? We can make a history roll. Can we? Yes, absolutely. I think anybody except Kimra can go ahead and make a history roll. What do I get with a six? Um, with a six? Uh... Oh, shoot, I got 21! Damn. Ooh, let's go! Let's go! <laughs> Kenson thinks there might have been a dish soap. <laughs> um, i think i remember that's about cleaning right <laughs> you use the the soap and it's just very aesthetically pleasing um no then no i have not heard of that <laughs> um okay so uh char got a 21 uh griff what did you roll uh i got a 15 Okay, so uh, Six, sixteen minus one with a fifteen, um, Griff. You you think you've may have heard of that at some point, but 
not in detail to any degree, mostly like old legends from travelers uh, that you've talked to. And some of some of the stories that like your father and your grandfather have told you revolved around um, some of the stuff that happened in the Ajax cluster. But it's all it's all like legend and fairy tale. And you, you never attributed much to it until maybe this moment when mm-hmm. it's mentioned mm-hmm. again. Char with a 21 and also Kimra, you would also know this too. The Ajax cluster was a a galaxy that was like at the forefront of technology like a thousand years ago. There were this race of elves known as lunar elves that had developed vessels and weapons and medical supplies and things that were far above and beyond anything else that had ever been seen in the known universe at that time. And they they kept it to themselves for the most part. And one day, a vast darkness seemingly unending spread through that galaxy taking everything with it it took it it disabled all the technology that the lunar elves had created as if it specifically was made to do so and then just left the galaxy in darkness some of the original engineers from that community built the ships the legend is that they built these vessels which you guys can probably through context clues assume are the ones that picked you up to fight off this threat. And they managed to fight it back, but it left the Ajax cluster in darkness permanently. No technology would work there anymore. Like even technology brought in from other places, as soon as it entered the galaxy, it just shut off and would not function. So everyone who was there left. It was like a mass exodus and they moved to other corners of the universe and scattered. So yeah, you guys know all this. Um, So as this AI asks about it, um, as Adrastia asks about it, um, you guys already know. Griff kind of like nods and he says, uh, yeah, I uh, heard the stories when I was, uh, when I was a young one uh, about the, the great darkness, the exodus of the elves. You don't mean to say that's, uh, that sort of thing's real, do you? I mean, that would be, I mean, that, that would just be ridiculous. I don't, I don't mean to, I know there's a lot going on right now. If we're talking about what is ridiculous and not, I just stepped on a spaceship with no door that shot me faster than I'd seen anything move before. So I'm very primed to just accept reality at this point. Whatever you say, just what it, yeah, sure. It's a, it's a good attitude to have. You gotta, gotta roll with it. It's uh, my motto. Good motto to have. But yeah, this is, uh, sure, I mean, you know, that's one uh, one hell of a thing, but, you know, something uh, something out of a legend, well, that's, uh, I, I don't know. It, it certainly sounds pretty, pretty monumental. Drastia, how did this technology survive? Was it still working? The material that you see on the outside of the ships was developed specifically to resist the darkness and the effect it has on technology. These ships were made to fight the darkness and building this base in the Sparrow Galaxy before it was known as the Sparrow Galaxy, that was sort of the strategy to avoid having the technology disabled as soon as they turned it on. Was any of the tale like recounted allowed so that Kenson can know what that is? Or is it just that everyone else is in on it? And I'm just like, yeah, sure. All right. Um, I'll say that like Adrastia was was also like narrating all of that while while Excellent. I was while I was expositing. Perfect. You know, I, I definitely don't want to question any any mes- like methods here, Adrastia. Do you think maybe it would have made sense to to track down some lunar elves if they were the original champions? I have tried, but the ships choose who they choose. My own efforts to locate the last of my creators. Aside, it is the ship's choice who the heroes are. That was how they are built. Is finding more lunar elves something that that means something to you too? If only 
to have another peer who has administrative privileges. I have been running things on my own for quite a while. This space was built 1,300 years ago, just about. That, that's that's a pretty uh, staggering amount of time, I, I gotta say. Well, you, you want to you uh, help uh, clean the place up? Uh, I suppose if we're going to be using it, might as well uh, get some of the dust out of here. And he kind of wipes his nose a little bit. Like it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a little, uh, little, uh, little musty in here. Robin, are there any like major historical events that would come to mind? She says 1,300 years ago. Not particularly, but one thing that does stand out to you, and I will say also to Char with that 21 history check, um, she's, she said 1,300 years ago, the Great Darkness was about 900 to 1,000 years ago, which mm-hmm. means that this base was built 300 years before the darkness happened in the Ajax Cluster. 400. 400. I, I can do math. <laughs> it's fine. See, now threes and fours are confusing. God damn it. This isn't going to be my brand. I swear, from this episode on, I'm getting threes and fours right. From now on, there are no math mistakes. <laughs> Robin, calling your shot Pressure like on. Babe Ruth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Never again. I make a single math mistake, I uh, immediately <laughs> commit to The good thing is, uh, you can just fix it in post. No one will know but us. <laughs> yeah, it'll be like four. Yeah. <laughs> Robin, how's the episode? The episode's good. I'm just going back to do the the math edits, so that'll yes. be another four hours. Another three, four, or five hours. I really don't know. Release the math cut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Adressia, what do you need from us right now? Well, we haven't had people here in a long, long time, so. My first priority is getting the power back to full functionality. How do we do that? I will have to do that from within the system itself. I have to operate inside of the inside of the fuse box and inside of uh, the solar panels and sort of get everything up to working order again. For you all, though, I would highly recommend finding a supplier of dehydrated meal cubes. We need a good number of those. We are out of the ones that I need to make us food for everyone to provide comfortable living. I will take Griff's note into account and do some cleaning while you are away getting those. I try to keep up. I sweep every 300 years or so, but I haven't had company in a while, so it didn't seem like an emergency. I've been there. Don't don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, you must be <laughs> tired that's, having that's to do everything by yourself. Jeffrey speaking through Kenson in that moment. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you need uh, need someone to push a broom, uh, I'm, uh, so I certainly won't won't back down from the challenge. Yeah, you don't have to do it all by yourself. We can definitely, you know, if we're going to call this camp for a bit, it, it makes sense that the campers do some of the work. She goes, oh, no, trust me, the, the engineers who built me were quite smart. And um, her, the little, like, eye lights change, uh, the display changes to, like, a little moving, like, waveform uh, for a second. And you hear a little tone, like, doo And a bunch of little holes open up in the wall. And, like, <laughs> it's, like, at least, like, a hundred, like, somewhere between a hundred and a thousand, like, tiny little robot Roombas. Hey everyone, Editing Room Robin again. Uh, just coming back in to fill in this last little piece of information that was lost when our recording software crashed. Um, this was mostly just us joking about the robot Roombas for a while. Uh, future episodes use a different recording method, so hopefully this audio loss issue will not happen again. But anyway, let's get back to the shenanigans. 
though, as the as these little uh, prototypes, these sort of hologram Roombas are uh, moving around cleaning things, Adrastia pulls a hologram up, sort of waves her hand to summon this hologram out of uh, that center blue glass in the middle of the table. And it shows sort of a little map of the surrounding planets uh, from the one that you guys are currently on. She points at a little moon in the very center and goes, this is us. This is Irawas, the moon that we are currently on, orbiting the planet of Hephaestus X. Then these are the three closest adjoining planets that might have some sort of option for attaining dehydrated meal cubes so that we may actually have food in the base. You have Abraxius, which is sort of a, like a ship junkyard, but it does have workers there and they have to eat too so there might be some sort of market there's galleon prime which is a trading planet for the most part lots of shipwrights lots of fishing and then there's revon which recently has been where sparrow galaxy has been hosting all of their corporate sponsored racing events metropolis skyscrapery very busy very easy to get lost so it's really up to you all. I would not recommend going down to the planet below us just because with the storm, I do not know how much food has survived or what, if any, sort of life exists down there. Our long-range sensors are sort of not... At the power level we're currently operating at, I can't read anything through the storm. So we have no idea what's down there. Well, Griff, it sounds like Revon might be more your speed if there's a, some sort of big event going on there. But if you want to maybe, you know, dip out since... You might be missing a big match. Maybe it's not good for your career if you're you're seen at the races when you should be fighting. Uh, Galleon Prime seem like could be a good option for us. I will also defer to anyone else and do whatever people want. I agree with you, Brant. Um, until until I can figure out you know exactly how uh, how this whole thing's going down, probably best if I don't make uh any sort of big you know appearances around big corporate events. Um, I mean, to be honest, we need to get some food first before we find power source. It's not going to be too good if we all, uh, we all pass out from, uh, skipping meals. Yeah, Galleon Prime, uh, Braxis, uh, seemed pretty good. Well, wait a minute. Adrastia, you said that, uh, Braxis is also kind of a, they got, uh, junkyards down there, right? Yes, it's mostly used for scrapping large ships. That is the primary purpose of the planet these days hmm wonder if we can uh you know, do a do a two for one and uh pick up some uh, some food supplies down there from uh some of the workers uh if it's a junkyard they got old ships perhaps i'm thinking um you know maybe uh i'm not sure what sort of a power source we need but i think ships usually i mean they gotta have some pretty big pretty big power cells you know to move those things around i can't say that i'm, I'm too knowledgeable of the you know all the, all the tech stuff you know i I mostly do uh, do grappling for uh, the entertainment of the crowd, but that seems like we could, uh, you know, kind of combine two things going down there. Adrastia sort of looks down at the hologram for a second like she's processing, and she goes, I'm not sure how compatible this technology would be with our current equipment, but if you bring me back any power cells you find from ships in your travels, I can always analyze them for compatibility with what we have on the base. We got you, sis. See, that's that's the thing about these power cell companies is they'll change just the connector they'll change the shape of it but not what's actually on the inside so <laughs> you gotta buy a new battery every time you get a new device that's how that's how they rope you in Adjusty also has like a pamphlet for a timeshare on the on the table oh my god yeah it's really oh, susceptible no. to, to scams oh no <laughs> now no this place looks nice though and you get it for a half a week a year that's a good deal <laughs> yes i just have to share it uh the entire rest of the year <laughs> Oh my god. Well, I mean, if you're trying to lay low... I had to sell the dark side of the moon, but it seems worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Griff will turn to um, Dr. Uh, Renette. So, you probably know a little bit uh, a little bit better what we sort of need maybe long-term here. Uh, 
can't say I've ever really had to do that sort of plan. And uh, you got any ideas what the, what are the sorts of things we need to maybe stock up on for uh, getting this place operational? Uh, Kimra is taken aback for a second because I think in this this one moment she realized that she never had to do this part. Part was always provided for her. She was given a very strict diet, and honestly, um, I'm gonna look at you, Griff, and I'm just gonna shrug my shoulders. I don't even know where to get food. Listen, I, I think this is where we default to the the two of us. They're just out here existing. Char, you look like you've been. I mean, like you know, we've been around. We've we've hunted for cubes before. Uh, lived solid number of years just on those cubes alone. I think we'll know how to get them. When it comes to the power cells and all that kind of stuff, I'll be out of my element. But yeah, we just we get down to a planet. We can track something down. Yeah, keys to look for abandoned things, and then you don't get caught. Yeah, I usually buy my things legally, but I guess oh, we could do that as well. That must be nice. Yeah, we are learning more about each other with every passing <laughs> sentence, and that is great. We'll come back to that. But <laughs> it sounds like our choice is between Galleon Prime and Brax. Brax's Brax. Obriaxis. Obriaxis. All right, I have the wrong down. Obriaxis. Oh. Obriaxis. It's trying to autocorrect to obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'd say uh, yeah, I'm good with uh, good with either of those. Uh, though it has been a while since I uh, saw an ocean or uh, that sort of thing, so maybe Galleon Prime would be nice. I mean, listen, if that's a trading planet, you know, they'll be trading power as well. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Guess it depends whether we want to. Char, you said we want to sneak around a little bit more. Or we want to want to try to trade for things. I don't. I don't really got a, got much on me. I, I think I got like Jax's <laughs> pockets. He's like, uh, I got well uh, about fifteen credits. So I'm um, uh, not sure how much that's gonna get us, but we can get some cubes for fifteen for sure. Yeah, wherever we go, we'll find a way to survive. I've made it this far. All right. Well, uh, I'll defer to uh, I'll defer to either one of you. Uh, I'm um, I'm up for either one. Uh, but I guess if I had to put my uh, name uh, name up there, I'd say um, I'd be interested in going to uh, Galleon Prime. I'm fine with Prime, Doctor Renette sounds adequate my concern would be taking resources from a planet that needs them it's a trading planet no but if that's what i'm saying if we go to the trading planet there's more resources that we can take Mm. i see i cut you off and that is my mistake we're fighting an ancient evil here but the true the truest ancient evil is the patriarchy and i do have to check Ah. myself so i do apologize for that okay so good (laughs) 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 sounds like uh sounds like it's settled then uh Blasting off to Galleon Prime. Uh, we we at least saw like approximately where that is. So yeah, I'm, I'm assuming we just we just jump in this ship again and kind of think our way there. I guess you just put your hands where the hands go and you're on your way. Adrastia goes. Now that the ships have brought you here, you will be in full control. What will happen is when you step in on your display, there will be sort of a light. You will see a sort of a hologram of where you are with a light that will project right in front of your ship that will guide you toward whatever destination that you are thinking that you want to go to. That works for me. Hey, look, the less, uh, less I have to interface with navigation, uh, that's going to be the right way to go. Never really learned uh, star charts uh, exactly the way I was supposed to. Addressed it before, I guess, we, we head out. Is there uh, any sort of particular, um, anything we should you know be on the lookout? Uh, any sort of suspicious customers, maybe feeling out the galaxy's defenses, that sort of thing. You know, just in case, you know, uh, I, I'd like to I'd like to know a little bit about my opponents before I, you know, step in a ring with them. Adrastia sort of like pulls into Galleon Prime on the hologram and goes, Expect mostly local merchants, fishing vessels, things like that. 
It is a tropical and temperate planet, one with a very large nautical trade. But with that comes a level of crime and other sort of nasty activity on the waves. A large portion of the planet is islands and water. A large portion is uncharted because of dangerous storms that only experienced sailors know how to navigate. Not many of those left in the universe except for on waterlogged planets. And so there is some piracy perhaps to be expected. Space pirates! Yeah, as they're known in this galaxy, the space pirates, I think you mean. It's been about 1300 years, but we did rebrand those. Oh, is it space piracy now? I'm not up to date with the, the current jargon. I will, I will update that in my systems immediately. We've really gone galactic with uh, how we view the worlds and how they intertwine. Space piracy ranges from stealing someone's, like, you know, actual goods to, like, downloading an MP3 file. There's a lot of different space piracy. From the feed. From the feed, of course. <laughs> Be prepared for anything, but as long as you don't venture too far out into uncharted water, you should spend your trip unaccosted. Well, I'm sure uh, nothing can go too wrong. I mean, we're just going down to get some food cubes. Worst comes to worst, we have to put the squeeze on a few uh, few space pirates. But uh, hey, I think that's something uh, something uh, a lot's been chosen by Destiny can handle. If Destiny has chosen us to fully just get wrecked on the street, then I guess that's what happens. Positive mindset. I love it. All right. I'm down to getting these ships and head on out. Let's go. I can already feel. Uh, I can already feel good. I'm getting a little, uh, getting a little hungry. So uh, fast we get the cubes, uh, better, uh, better prepped we'll be. Jesse, you would recommend there. I, I know there's a lot of fresh fish down there, and and what you maybe don't know about me yet is that I do. I know you said you'll do some cooking. I'll do some cooking right there with you. If I want to get some fresh fish for us, would you recommend that I just get just enough for tonight? Because there isn't a lot of ways to keep that preserved on this ship. And we'd go mostly food cubes. I prefer the fresh stuff. I'll do cubes. I've had a lot of cubes in my day. They're not bad. Uh, Adrastia goes, have you eaten just a, a raw meal cube? No, I usually prepare them. You've cooked a meal cube? Yeah. You're not, they don't, how are you alive? You're just popping them? No, you put them in a synthesizer and take little tiny pieces of material off of them and synthesize them into real food. What you've done is essentially eat 200,000 meals in one cube at one time. How are you alive? All I'm saying is that you get a lot of intense, a lot of very vibrant flavors if you just throw the cube in a pot and let it do its thing. Adrasia does like a scan of Kensen and then looks at like her wrist and goes, I don't know how this is possible, but you have the highest concentration of vitamin C I've ever seen in a living thing. So I guess you're doing something it's right. It's the cubes. It's years of the cubes. <laughs> The more you eat them, the faster your metabolism just, like, catches up, you know? This is fascinating. Uh, Mr. Brandt, when was the last time you used the restroom? Because you should be eliminating that vitamin C through your urinary tract. Probably been about three years. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh, That's no. a joke. It was uh, earlier this morning. Don't worry about it. He's very regular, and he will protest that. <laughs> oh, my God. Rastia, we need to run tests. This is what happens when you don't read all of the lore documents before you enter the session. To be fair, I don't think I had mule cubes on there, so that was just a bit of really good yes ending. No, perfect. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so yeah, no, Adrasia turns to Kimra and nods like, yeah, absolutely. This is a miracle of science. Listen, if I have to get in one of those scanners like they have at the TSA, where you just kind of like <laughs> put your feet in the things and put your hands up, it's so invasive. I'll do it. <laughs> what does the TSA stand for here? Ooh. Um, would it not just be time and space authority? 
Yeah, that's what I'm talking. That's what I meant by TSA. Hey, Marvel, don't sue me. Yeah, I was gonna say like it's, it's not canon. Authority. I'm making a joke. The Time Sparrow <laughs> Authority. Yeah. Oh. There we go. Now it's ours. All right. So uh, as you guys reboard your ship uh, with the destination of Galleon Prime in mind, the four ships light up, take off out of the hangar, and you do immediately see what Adrasia was talking about—the sort of trail leading you forward and guiding you to steer your ship in the right directions. It's a bit clunky at first. You all are new to flying this sort of machine, and you're not necessarily in any sort of formation yet, but with the guidance of the ship, you're able to at least stay on the right track and in the right direction. And with the speeds the ships travel, it isn't long at all before you are coasting around different planets, stars, the occasional sun, and you reach a planet that you can see even from orbit is mostly water, although it does look calm, except for in one spot on the adjacent side of the planet from where you're going that looks like it's just under one constant rain that's happening um, on the opposite side. Um, but where you're going is a, a very quaint little port that sort of sits suspended on these very tall legs above the water. Um, it's, 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 it's a massive sort of ramshackle city. Think like Waterworld. They've had, they have all these like piers and boats and docks that have all been sort of assembled together into a town. And uh, your ships find, uh, it's it, you get some very strange looks you can already tell from sailors as your uh, very much not waterfaring ships find places to dock along this pier. And as you step out and feel the sea breeze and the salty air and smell the tropical fruits and the fish that are being sold on the dock, that is where we're going to end the episode. Hell yeah. All right. That's Excited cool. for round two. Those backstories are so cool. Yes. <laughs> Before I go through my little thing, does anyone have anything they would like to plug? Check me out on Dungeons and Degrees podcast, wherever pods are cast. I like that. I really like, yeah, that's a really good plug. Wherever pods are cast. All right, everybody, uh, you can catch us next time uh, for episode two. Uh, we have Char, played by Lainey Chan. You can catch uh, her on IG and Twitch at Lainey K. Chan or TikTok at Laneybug with three E's. Uh, Griff Cragsman is Benjamin Clifford uh, on Instagram as The Bent One and Twitter as The Real Bent One. Uh, Kenson Brandt is Jeffrey Anderson on Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch at Zitrine. Um, and then Dr. Cameron Renette is Alex Saulnier McKinnon, who you can catch on Twitter at Eloquent Mime. I am Robin McCulloch, your DM. You can catch me on Twitter at Wismet, and our wonderful theme song is done by David Puga, who you can catch on Instagram at David L. Puga. Thank you for listening, everybody, and we will catch you next time. Bye. Bye, everybody. Join us in the stars. Ooh. I like that. That's a good ending.